0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show.
2: Occasionally on this show, we get to talk with business executives and get a bit of a close-up view of what it's really been like for those leaders to navigate a series of transitions, to lead a group, to be accountable for results, to make things happen. And that's the focus for today, the another one in the series on the experiences and insights of one particular leader in her journey. So with me today is Ilya Malioras. Ilya has been a London-based fixed-income specialist in investment banking for the last 15 years. She was managing director, running a team, advising a broad spectrum of international clients, including corporates, on a variety of matters, Um, so funds and insurance companies on financial markets and hedging solutions. Ilya has built successful sales teams, and she's built long-standing relationships with clients, both within the organization and across a number of significant transactions. She's also been a proponent of mentoring women and promoting diversity as part of her focus. And today, Ilya is quite passionate about being a startup investor and advising startups on strategic and financing matters. So, Ilya, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me, Wanda.
2: All right. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing the stories from you. So I want to go back in a moment in time. So as a managing director, you managed a bunch of different teams over a course of several years. But I want to go back to when you first began leading a team. And what was easy about that? What was not so easy? What did you have to learn to do? What didn't come so naturally to you?
3: Okay, so when I had my first opportunity to lead a team a while ago, I felt kind of ready at the time, but not really ticking all the boxes. But suddenly things moved much faster than I had anticipated, and there were a lot of changes and tricky situations I had to deal with at the same time. So first, there was a major reorganization in our division, and um, I myself had a new boss who put me into the new role, and I had to get to know him as well, and his leadership style and build credibility with him. Then second, during all the changes, a lot of people had left the team before I was asked to take over. And I had to go out and hire new people and convince them as well to believe in our platform. But I think the most difficult transition I had to make at that time was from being a colleague to the other team members, to being their manager. Because, you know, like I felt that first promotion always comes because you're very good at your day job, but you kind of have to make it work because there's not really a way back from... This step, and um, I always found it easy to relate to people, but at times difficult in the beginning to establish myself as a manager of people I had worked with for quite a few years. And you know, like there were some awkward situations along the way where I had to sit down with people in my team and be transparent and said, You know, this is my vision for the team, this is how I believe it's going to work, and how we can. Make it work together, and this is where I need your skills. And you know, but I had to continue to work on establishing my authority. And there are some questions you ask yourself at the time, like, can I still be friends with my former colleagues while being their manager? Or maybe their performance reviews are going to be awkward. But you know, I believe in this case, you still can maintain friendships, but you kind of really need to distinguish between the friendship and the working relationship, as you might cause resentment from other colleagues. If you don't, then, you know, you always have to keep in mind that you
2: are no longer a peer, but a manager at this point in time. Right. So two things I want to follow up on. One is about building credibility with your new boss, but let's stay with this thread at the moment about going from the colleague to the manager. So one part of that um, is that You're nervous about it. You're anxious about how is this going to go, and was I too friendly, and am I being too authoritarian, and so forth. And then the second part is how did they respond to you? So did you have any problems in the team? Were people kind of not so sure they accepted you as a manager? I mean, it
3: was... Easier, definitely, with the new people I had hired because, you know, they came into this new situation and I was already established as a manager. But, you know, like, okay. people um, in my team, I mean, the difficult point was, you know, like, they all respected me for my knowledge and my skills and my work ethic. And, uh, but, you know, I was working with people and I was put, being charged, uh, put in charge of people who kind of had a similar level of experience to myself. So what I really kind of found helping in this case, which was address it openly with the team and, and and be honest and kind of involve them as well in the process to some extent.
2: Okay. So can you give an example about that? Like, what did you say? What did you do? Just pick an example, um, any one and tell us how you handled it.
3: Yeah, sure. So there was one special person, uh, in my team who had a similar level of, uh, experience, uh, to me and he was kind of helping within all the changes that he could take on a more te- more senior role within the organization as well. So obviously that was a bit of an awkward situation. I had always been very friendly with this person and we had worked together um uh in a very productive way for quite a, quite a few years. So um I I mean, there were two ways I thought I could approach this. Either kind of to ignore it and get on with it but what I thought could be much more effective is kind of to address it openly with the person sitting down you know like uh stress how important he would be you know for the success of the team going forward you know where really these skills are coming in to help us move forward and really laying out my my vision and strategy for the team
2: okay and did you say this is a little bit awkward You know, we were colleagues now in your main Okay. And was the response to that a good one or not a good one?
3: I think my honesty has been very well-received at the time.
2: I hear this. um, So this is a step that I think almost everybody who's been an expert has to deal with at some point in time. You're among the top performers on the team. And then you, out of a handful of people, get tagged to now move from being a peer to being a manager. And it's a hard transition. And what I hear from people who do that successfully, usually, is they just sit down with a have a candid conversation and say something along the lines of, this is a little bit awkward. Or, You're important. We're going to figure this out. Let's keep open communications and so on. What I hear from the opposite side of the equation, people are on the receiving end of this, is that they just appreciate the fact that you sit down and say, you know, this is a little awkward. Okay, that's the truth. Thank you at least it's honest, as opposed to pretending that everything is okay, and then we interpret that meaning that you think you're better than I am or something. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so let's go back to uh, one of the other hard transitions is it's enough that you have your day job because you don't give that up. You're still producing. You're still delivering for clients. You're still accountable for the same level of results before you became a manager. You have the team now that you got to spend extra time with the team because you know, you've got to make sure that they're on board with your taking over. You may have some recruiting to do because a couple of people left. And on top of that, you get a new boss. So whatever the game plan was, it suddenly changed. So what did you do in this particular case to kind of build your credibility with your boss?
3: Um, yeah, well, that was not an easy transition as well. But obviously, you know, like, I felt, you know, like, my new boss, Jimmy, he put me into the new role. So obviously, he's placing, you know, like, a huge amount of confidence in me that I'm the right person to um, to take the team forward and to do that and, and to create revenues and to go out and hire all these people and put, you know, a structure back within, you know, that part of of uh, the organization. So that obviously helped me to get over my lack of confidence in the beginning that I might not be ticking all the boxes. And then I thought if someone like him has trusted me to do that, then I should have trust and confidence in myself to be able to do that. But obviously, you know, like, what helped me as well, and him kind of getting to know each other, was a very clear communication, you know, sitting down on a regular basis and, you know, like, letting him lay out to me as well how he saw my role and uh, what, you know, he thought... Together and under my leadership, we could move the team forward.
2: So you just actually sat down with him and say, you know, here's what I think. Is that what you had in mind, or did you ask directly, what is it that you hope is going to happen in this role? Well, definitely, I made out my vision to him,
3: to him, and you know the issues that we had with the team and you know what we needed for the team going forward to be able to make this happen because I had been in the organization a lot longer than he had and I thought, you know, like obviously, you know, like having someone there and, you know, like me laying out all the details to him would be helpful but uh, thankfully as well my vision of the team and his vision of my role were aligned at the time.
2: Okay. All right, so that makes it fairly straightforward. Okay, now let's talk about this whole notion of being the expert leader. So you're still producing and you're managing, something we love to talk about in financial services. Some people call it the player coach or the producer manager. How did you come to understand wearing both hats? Did you have a formula for how much time you spent on one or the other? How did you blend them? Well, I mean, probably most
3: people go in the beginning through a phase where they think they can do it all, which is impossible. And, you know, like in the beginning, I was stretched in two directions all the time. And it's not easy to find a balance because obviously you still want the need to be seen as a contributor to the team's bottom line. But obviously you have to focus on the bigger picture as well. And, you know, like what you need for the team and how you ensure the success of, you know, the whole team all the units and, you know, how you can compile all the knowledge. So um, I think normally the solution in theory is to plan your day and schedule time for producing and for managing. But if you work in markets, as I do, that is not always that easy. As markets move and transactions need to be looked at urgently and clients can't be left waiting, so you do not always know what expects you each day. So that's obviously okay. the dilemma that uh, that I was facing. So, but it, it was a transition for me and you know, like uh, uh, but also an empowering process for the team at the time, because you have to figure out at some point you know which decisions you have to take yourself and which ones you can delegate, and obviously it increases communication with the team. and um, uh, but obviously,
2: you have to get let go of some depth and detail at some point. Yeah. yeah and that's everybody gives that advice but do you have any advice on how to actually let go and not be afraid that something's gonna go wrong on your watch um yeah obviously you know i felt like anxious at times and i struggled with not
3: feeling hundred percent in control of things i mean what has worked for me um at the time was to find a mentor who had made a similar transition and made a bit before me and you know like um has been through that, uh, through that, and could give me advice and let me know what has worked worked for him or her at the time. But obviously, you know, it's like knowing the team very well, figure out where each person's strengths are, and you know, like being then able to trust every person with the level of detail you kind of have to let go of. I mean, and the track I have seen people like new managers fall into was as well to put too much focus on managing areas within their comfort zone because, you know, like I'm not spending enough time on learning things that you are not your natural strength, you know, and, you know, obviously, um, that would
2: be a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get stale then. Um, well, I see it go one of two ways. People spend either all their time on the stuff they know nothing about, which breeds resentment, Or they spend none of their time on stuff that they know nothing about, which also causes a problem. So it is an interesting balance between getting it right, how much do I need to know about all these other areas, and how much is enough for me to learn. Okay, so in all of this, there are a variety of things that can happen that can take, you know, make your, hit your confidence. I mean, you said at the beginning that things moved a lot faster than you were really expecting and that part of your confidence is derived from your manager has faith in you and put you in this role. But talk for a minute about, you know, times when your confidence was low and what did you, what have you done that helps you boost your levels of confidence?
3: Well, I mean, you know, like, I've, like, kind of read once a sentence that I really liked, which was, like, confidence is not genetic, and, you know, this is so true, and confidence can come and go, and, you know, like all of us, we have been through periods where, you know, we felt we are not up for it, and uh, obviously, not success makes you more confident, but also, if you come out the other side from a crisis, or you learn from a mistake, and, you know, I think we all are afraid once in a while and kind of need to show some courage. And, you know, like for me, the feeling that knowing it's not just me, that everybody has to go through this has helped me a lot. A strong network, having a role model, male or female. And, you know, what I mentioned before that thinking, you know, others believe in me, so I should believe in myself as well. And very often maybe taking a step back and thinking, you know, maybe my expectations of myself are a bit unrealistic and I should focus more on my strengths and trust my gut. Okay. uh, So, yeah, so I think, you know, we all go through these phases, but uh,
2: kind of resetting myself has helped me in a lot of situations. Okay. Okay. All right. So then let me just confirm, for the record, you have made more than one mistake. Oh, yes. (laughs) I love asking that question of senior leaders because the answer is exactly as you said, always, yes, lots. If you haven't made some mistakes and you're never pushing the boundaries very far enough, and you're not pushing the boundaries far enough, you're not driving the business as fast as you need to drive it. Okay, so Ilya, one last question. One of the things I hear a lot of, but from people, particularly this time of year when is promotion time or performance review time is about raising your profile. So do you have any advice about how to best raise your profile, as in what works and what's a waste of time? Yes, Uh, sure.
3: So I um, I think raising your profile with senior leaders is like a continuous process because if you only try to create visibility at the moment, you know, a promotion comes along or a career opportunity or you need to get something done for your team, I think it's too late. Because if people do not know you, they will not have, you know, like, uh, enough confidence as well for you to take the next career step or, you know, like, to um, for you to take on and next, you know, like, interesting assignment assignment. And, and uh, you know, I had to find my own way in raising my profile. And I had often to face, you know, like, my fears as well and bring up my confidence in speaking up and demonstrating my skills and raising my team's profile. But I think the most crucial step is then to go and ask when the time is there. And in my case, that was for an expanded role or for additional resources for the team or internal approvals. And you know, like, putting myself forward is not something that ever comes natural to me. Networking is, which has helped me uh, as well. But I had one situation, maybe I can uh, give an example that I... Went to see through. So I summed up all uh, my courage and I prepared. And I went in to see my manager at the time and presented him with numbers and analysis of what I had achieved so far with the team. And, you know, I said I was confident to be able to do this, the same thing with a different client base if only he gave me a chance. And, you know, like over the course of two years, he told me no three times until he gave in at the fourth time when he said yes. So, so um, it is, well, you know, like about being persistent. And as I said before, it is a continuous process. It's not something that you can do once. And then it's something that you have to keep doing. And I kept preaching this to uh, my, my team as well. You know, like it's not that you can only raise your profile at promotion time. And, you know, a lot of people have been disappointed as well. You know, you have to raise your profile globally throughout the year. You can be the best producer on the desk. If nobody has heard your name before, then that is
2: just not good enough. Okay. I love that. The best producer, but no one knows it's not good enough. And they won't take a chance on these. All right. So, Ilya, four times you had to ask over a period of how many months or years? Oh, two years. Two years. So there's patience and persistence, I guess, and a good bit of courage if I'm going to try it one more time and see where we get to. I love it. Yeah. All right, fabulous. With me today is Ilya Um, Ilya has a London-based fixed income specialist in investment banking, or at least that's what she's been doing for the last 15 years. And today, Ilya is quite passionate about startup investing and advising startups on strategic and financial matters. We're talking about Ilya's experiences in development and as a manager, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about a lovely topic, which is influence and a tiny bit on politics.
4: We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations
4: get it and keep it. Have you friended us on Facebook yet?
2: With me today is Elia Mayoras, I can't get the words out correctly, who has been a London-based fixed income specialist in investment banking for the last 15 years, leading a number of teams, sales teams and longstanding clients and significant transactions transactions. Today, Ilya is focused on startup investing and advising startups on strategic and financial matters. We've been talking about Ilya's experience of leading a team. And in that last segment, we were focused very much on what it's like to transition into that producer manager, particularly when it's the first time that you are leading a team and you are a peer of the team and now you're sort of the manager of the team. And building your confidence and getting your vision straight and communicating with the team and persistently raising your profile and asking your manager in this particular case for the fourth time to give you an additional opportunity only to get it. So now I want to turn to a different side of life as a manager, which has to do with influence. Um, I find that this is a continual topic for people, which is how do I persuade someone or some other groups, either up or down the hierarchy to do what I think needs to be done and often that gets a little political meaning everybody has their own interest and own perspective in each of these um, discussions so you have to take that into consideration so Ilya I'm interested in a time when you had to use persuasion above and beyond kind of a rational argument And you don't need to give us names, or you can give us fictitious names, but what did you do? What happened? And how did you win people over? Okay, so I mean, persuasion is obviously a huge part of
3: every salesperson's daily life, but of course, as well, you know, in every organization up and down the hierarchy, as you say. And one situation that kept coming up in my career over and over again is having to persuade senior management to assign headcounts to build out certain areas of our client platform, so either geographical or client-segment-focused, which often was one of the most difficult things one could have asked for. So, I mean, as a first step, I think always I had to be very clear of what exactly I was going to ask for and what I wanted to achieve, for example, one who hire at a certain level of seniority with experience and existing relationships in a certain client base. And, you know, had to put together a forecast of additional revenues and, you know, potentially would have a name for that candidate in mind as well. So, but obviously in preparing the ground, I mean, this would be something that would almost certainly would be faced with a certain amount of pushback. So in preparing the ground, I always, you know, try to establish a common goal like in this case, more revenue for the firm, but try to get buy-in from other stakeholders as well before the decision is taken. So the other stakeholders in this case are other team or department heads who believe that the opportunity is scalable and their own businesses would benefit as well from new clients for the firm. And I think that's really important because that creates kind of a certain V instead of the I in that case. And... Um, and obviously, you know, like, you have to anticipate, like, certain questions and resistances coming up. But what I found in my world, what has almost what, uh, has worked almost every time, beyond, like, every fact or rational argument, you say, is pointing to a successful competitor for who a similar solution has worked very well. And this would often create a feeling of fear of missing out and then a subsequent effort of filling that gap.
2: Great! <laughs> I love that appeal to the competitive instinct, Elia. I love it. So yeah. now that under, under, I mean, so obviously for all of these, you've done the rational homework so that you have the numbers, you have the forecast, you have you can document the idea and the potential in the idea, but that is never enough. Because it's more than that. And you've also said, you know, you make sure that you've got other stakeholders who believe in the same thing and believe they would benefit from the same gain. So it's not just to your benefit only. And then to appeal to the successful competitor who's done that and a chance where we might <laughs> might miss out. I love that. Yes. The
3: fear of they could take what could be ours. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so- Uh, What a great strategy. Uh, Do you use that with customers as well in your sales strategy? I just have to ask. (laughs) Potentially, if it fits, yes. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. Um, Has it ever gotten political where you feel like there's somebody who's really strongly opposing you uh, for whatever good, logical, whatever reasons? And how have you dealt with that opposition? Yeah, I mean,
3: I think it's impossible to avoid politics altogether. I mean, they are everywhere, and I think that every leader is kind of a skilled politician at the same time. And I think I've experienced them all. So competing interests with peers where you argue, like, for clients or resources, and, you know, situations where rules are unclear and where there's lack of information, and as well, you know, where alliances are being formed where I didn't feel a part of. And, I mean... I have one example, actually, that stayed with me, happened many years ago, but I had once hired someone for my team and uh, someone who was due to start work in three months on my desk, and it was, like, really a tough process to get the person, find the person, get them on board, and it was a perfect hire for the team. But in the meantime, while I was waiting for the person to arrive, one of my colleagues had tried to convince my manager at the time to assign this person his team and you know obviously for me this would mean to have to go all out again you know like spend many more months looking for the person and waiting for them uh to start so obviously this is something i was not happy with at all and you know like obviously your first instinct is to be really angry to confront that person but um something i got a lot better with over time was to first breathe Try to not being impulsive, take a step back and and read the situation, and you know sometimes if you're feeling really gracious, even try to understand where the other person is uh, is coming from, but obviously, what I'm trying to say is there is no really way to avoid politics because one way or the other, you have kind of to address the issue and as well, you know like set boundaries for people, so otherwise, you know like just ignoring politics can be more harmful than your, to your career as it is beneficial, but I think, you know, by doing that, you should always make sure you don't really forget your core values in this case, because you still need yeah. to look yourself in the mirror every day and especially kind of maintain integrity and being authentic and all this.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I love this notion that you sort of pull back, don't respond impulsively, kind of try to get a sense of the situation, try to be as gracious as you can be, figure out where the person is coming from, and then figure out what to say. All right, so here you've tried to recruit this person, you've spent a lot of effort finding them, you've gotten them, you know, the position sold, you've hired them, you're waiting for them to join. Do they end up joining the other person's team or do they come to your team? No, they came to my team. <laughs> oh, good. Good good so you yes. won in the end. <laughs> all right yes. but what, did you, what did you do I mean did you go to this peer and say how dare you or did you go to your manager and say absolutely over my dead body I mean what did you do? I went to both. I covered all okay. my bases. All right and were, how I mean how firm were you were you were you kind of rough and tumble or did you say what did you say? Pretty firm but very composed. So okay.
3: you know, I had to give it a day to come, but calm down and breathe, and you know, take the impulsiveness
2: out of the situation. Okay. And did you say this is unfair, or did you say, you know, I'll fight that? What did you, What was your argument to them?
3: Um, well, basically, to um, uh, my colleague who had tried to snatch the tire for me was a very polite uh, back off and uh, don't you dare. But uh, my case uh, to my manager was was obviously, you know, a bit uh, more rational and prepared and, you know, like uh, with analysis and numbers behind that and rational arguments why that person can only be in my team and nobody else is.
2: Okay. All right. Fair enough. And you prevailed. (laughs) Did you manage to maintain the relationship with the peer or did they go, were they upset? Yeah, I did. We overcame
3: it. It's, okay. you know, in, in very few cases, politics is anything personal. We don't have to forget
2: that. Yeah, I think that's the other thing, is if you get the personal part wound up in it, it gets awfully difficult to deal with. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I love this, that you, you kind of, in some ways, you can't fault the peer for trying, so long as you can see it that way. You may not feel that in the moment, but if you can take the impulsiveness out, it's like, okay, we'll give it a good shot, see what they can get out of it. Okay. Exactly. Um, Any other advice you have for managing politics in general?
3: Well, you know, I've made the experience that, um, you know, women are a lot more uncomfortable with politics than men. So, uh, but, you know, my main advice to both of them is you can't, you really cannot avoid it altogether. It's just, you know, like a question how you deal with it and you can always take as well the high road in dealing
2: with it. Okay. So take the high road, but then not to be shy about saying anything either along the way. Yes. Okay. You have to set the last as question. Well. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, it's about setting boundaries as well. Oh, okay. And what do you mean by setting boundaries? What you're going to tolerate? Well, of course, you know like I mean sending out a signal as well, you know, like it's
3: to peers or, you know, like people in the organization that, you know, like, um, uh, that you're not a pushover. So you kind of need to be seen standing up for yourself as well in these situations.
2: Great. Um, and then as, le- as, as m- slow on the emotion, as you can get, if you were giving someone career advice, what's your top tips? I would say
3: never stop learning speak up, build a network, which is hugely important, hugely important. Never stop networking. Find a sponsor if you can. So this was something that I found like having a sponsor was like hugely beneficial to me in my career. And well, realize as well that you know your career is not a sprint, it's rather a marathon. Realize As well, you know, success doesn't mean to be liked by everyone, although it's maybe, you know, something that is more specific to women. And don't be afraid to take career risks because the magic very often happens outside your comfort zone.
2: (laughs) Yeah, lovely. The magic is outside of the comfort zone. I love that one. That's fabulous. Um, I often talk to people, Ilya, who have stopped learning. And the, the conversation starts with, I've been in my job for a long time, and I'm bored. I could do it in my sleep. I know my advice to them at that point is, you've been doing the job for, you you stayed in it too long. You should have left before you'd quit learning everything. But as a coach, part of that has to do with helping them refine the thing that they get passionate about. In fact, I was doing this yesterday with somebody who just wasn't finding the enthusiasm and was thinking, do I have a whole new career? Do I go to a completely different department? Do I break out of my expertise completely, totally? And it was a matter of getting this person to go back around and think about, well, what is it that I really genuinely get excited about? And so finding that sense of passion and the thing that you're going to learn. But do you have any advice on how not to get stale? Well, yeah. No, I agree with you. But, um,
3: the thing is, you know, like, if you decide to stop learning what you're doing, then I think that equals kind of having given up. Because you can always... I mean, I felt that every day in uh, my career, I still, you know, like, learn something new, even if it was from the analyst on the desk. So um, stopping learning is, is is not an option. But, you know, like, obviously, you know, finding the thing you're, like, really passionate about and that makes you get out of bed every day as well and makes you excited. Yeah, it is a process. It's not easy. I don't have all the answers for that either. I'm looking for
2: that myself. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we all find, I think we all find times where it seems like it goes and then it just takes a little bit of a journey to figure it out. Okay, I love this. So just to repeat the advice here, never stop learning, speak up, Um, keep networking always 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 not just when you're needing something find a sponsor if you can keep in mind the career is a marathon not a sprint that success is not the same as being liked by everyone but you don't want to be hated by everyone either I added and then not afraid to take a career risk because the magic happens outside the comfort zone I couldn't have said it better Ilya that's fabulous all right, we're going to take a break. With me today is Ilya mangoris Ilya has been a London-based fixed income specialist in investment banking for 15 years. She's been running teams across a broad spectrum of international clients from corporates to funds to insurance companies on a host of financial markets and hedge fund solutions, hedging solutions. Um, And now Ilya is focused on the startup investor and advising startups on strategic and financial matters. When we come back, we've hinted at this a couple of times, but I want to talk specifically with Ilya about the topic of diversity and women, and more importantly, creating a culture that's inclusive for everyone. So we'll be right back.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want
1: more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website, at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it.
2: With me today is Ilya Malouros. Um, Ilya has been a fixed income specialist in investment banking for the last 15 years and as a managing director running a broad team working with clients, uh, corporates, funds and insurance companies and now focusing on investors in startups and advising startups on strategic and financial matters. So Ilya, I want to talk about gender. Now I know in ways this is a hot topic and in other ways people are tired of talking about it. But I have to say the World Economic Forum that every year does a fabulous report on a gender gap survey across the world on a whole host of matters. And their progress report on how well we're doing this one is pathetic. So their most recent analysis says that it will be a hundred and seventy years At the current pace before we reach gender parity. So we may be bored with this topic, but we are not done with it yet. And just for one stat, the U.S., for all of the lovely effort in the U.S., ranks 45th in the world, which is not terribly great. I'd encourage anybody Mm -hmm. who's listening to pay attention to that report. It's a great analysis of all the components that make for gender parity. So, Ilya, especially in financial services, there's been a lot, a lot of discussion about both getting women in, getting them up the curve, and getting them to stick. So, for your perspective, what has been most helpful for you as a female leader?
3: Oh, okay. So, Wanda, you're absolutely right. It is a very hot topic, and while a lot of progress has been made already, we are nowhere near where we need to be. I think, and obviously I can only speak from my experience here, which is a financial services industry and it's still a very male-dominated environment. And I think there are a lot of good intentions and a lot of effort is being made to hire, like, more females, but I feel we really need more practical solutions to appeal to women as an industry, first, and then to support women as they move up through the ranks. And there's still, like, far too many women worried about so many things, like, Male alliances they can't break into about not fitting in about the impact the pregnancy or maternity leave is having on their career. Women were afraid to mention their children at work. Also about connections and unconscious bias and not being heard and the feeling that women have to be better than men to succeed. And you know, like, uh, and and practical solutions, yeah, can some of them can be easy to implement, like more part-time arrangements or home office days. And better reintegration as well of women coming back from maternity leave, which I think is key and definitely a change in, in, in the workplace culture as well. And, um, for example, like I think, uh, companies often do not recognize that they're getting a real value out of, out of, you know, like women coming back after having a baby and having the maternity leave. Because these women make very conscious and often very hard decisions as well to stay in the workforce. And they really want to make their time in the office and at work count and give it all and make the, the most of their careers. So kind of reintegrating them better is uh, could be a huge asset for every company. Um, and, you know, coming back to what has been most helpful for me as a female leader was that I had a very strong network of hugely inspiring supportive women. And for me, only the feeling to know that I'm not alone and there's always someone I can – talk to help me through many difficult situations at work, and, you know, like, together we built a network as well to mentor and support more junior women in the company, which we are still getting great feedback for. And um, also another point was that um, has uh, helped me a lot was that female leaders were offered a lot of training and networking and development opportunities, and as well I had the chance to do a lot of great work with you, Wanda, which I'm still really grateful for.
2: Okay. So you think that the training did not, thank you very much for the compliment about working with me, but from your perspective, Ilya, the training and the development was worth it. Because a lot of women say, I don't need a training program for women. That isn't, you know, you're singling me out. Um, And you found the opposite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was really kind
3: of, you know, like, Tailored to, to 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 the needs of 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 uh, of women leaders, gave us a great networking platform. Was really focused, you know, like on 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 our development and and and, and really tailor made for for you know like our needs. And was a great opportunity to take part.
2: Okay, okay. So the strong network, and you know, um, one of the things that amazes me, and I think uh, surprises a lot of very senior male leaders. Is how few, how hard it is for women to find each other in the organization, and then to find the time to actually build that strong network of other female leaders. So, did you do anything in particular that helped you build this network?
3: Um. Yes, obviously, you know, like uh, at, at our level, as an obviously, they're not, uh, we're not like that many senior female leaders. So, you know, like we would stand out. It was not a particular effort to go out and find each other, but obviously a lot of effort was put into building that support network, getting to know each other, and, um, like, really inspire and and, and, and help each other. And it's something I'm really, really grateful for. You know, like, sometimes people say that, you know, like... um, uh, there can be a lot of difficulties as well of women, women's network or women at work. I've never had that experience. My experience with working with other senior female
2: uh, leaders has always been great. Okay. Great. I do hear that a lot, that especially from younger women in many organizations, that it's the senior women that they have the hardest time with, not the, women, not the men at their particular level. Okay. Now how about networking with your male colleagues and, uh, did you do much of that? Did you find it easy? Do you find it hard? Do you find any formulas that really were effective? Oh,
3: yeah. Like, networking is not and should never be, like, uh, gender-specific. Of course, you know, I did a huge amount of networking with uh, with uh, my male colleagues as well and, um, and, and, and managed to build, like, a really nice... Uh, was within the company across divisions, and and and, uh, um, and I came across a lot of like great male senior leaders as well who were hugely supportive of uh, of the women's cause, and um, and that has been great. I'm very grateful for that.
2: Okay, all right. Now let's flip the tables and say, what is it that's been the hardest for you as a woman? And again, speaking from your personal experience okay like purely from my perspective of course i mean
3: what has been the hardest i think it would keep changing over time as well but probably uh realizing at some point that nobody can do it all or have it all and basically you know like i think the daily struggles of a working couple and being balanced being you know balancing being a leader and a parent i think but uh uh, as i say i mean we had like um It was not only the female network who really helped me through this. We had a lot of, like, male senior, great male senior managers who, you know, like, uh, whose wives had careers and who really understood
2: what it was all about. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, I hear that a lot from women, that when you have a male colleague whose wife is in the workplace and they understand her struggle and challenges day to day, then it makes them a little more empathetic to listening to you. And it's also a little more comfortable talking to them because you know they have some sense of it. So, you know, did you, have you settled anything, Ilya, on how, you, any advice you can give about striking this balance between being a parent and a leader? Um,
3: yes, I do, actually. I mean, it is not easy. Like in my case, having, you know, like a hugely supportive partner, has always worked. But, you know, like, trying at some point to eliminate the guilt because obviously thinking about it, you could feel guilty all day long, you know, like, while you're being at work that you're not at home and while you're being at home, you know, like, thinking about work and not focusing on that either and, you know, like, just stop, you know, like, um, benchmarking yourself to, you know, like, people who don't have to have to face that struggle and you don't have to find the balance because then you would always fall short and you know like uh,
2: just try to do the best you can. Okay so um, I love this you said that you benchmark yourself and did you have people that you benchmarked against so people who were also parents?
3: Um, yes yes definitely and uh, you know like I mean you just could do that all day long, you know, like to benchmark yourself, you know, against the person who has more time for her family or against the person who, could, I don't know, um, at school who bakes the best cakes for the children's parties. And, you know, like I could feel guilty every day of the week um, if, if I were to do that. But, you know, like it, it's not easy to strike a balance, but you know, like I, basically
2: my advice is to do the best you can with
3: what is in front of you
2: yeah. at that time. <laughs> We did um, a few weeks ago, we did a show on uh, time and finding enough of time and having sense of purpose. And one of the pieces of advice there was every time you have an external goal, I want to be the best at, I want to be the best on the playground mothers. I want to be the best mother. I want to be the best salesperson. I want to be the best manager, whatever that is, that benchmark, because to achieve that goal, I'm constantly comparing myself to somebody else. And that kind of external goal always lacks um, inspiration and motivation in any sense of purpose. And it's terribly frustrating because there's always somebody who's going to do something better than you do. So kind of to cut it. I love that. All right, Ilya, just the last couple of minutes before we close. um, One of the things that I'm particularly passionate about is this whole notion of creating an inclusive culture where you feel that your voice is heard, you feel that you fit in, you feel that you have an opportunity to contribute. Do you have a wish list for your managers and senior leaders that you wish they would have done?
3: Oh, yes. So, you know, like, I think, like, in principle, everyone is committed to diversity, and everybody knows it's, like, a bottom-line method that it leads to higher revenues, and, you know, like, as a consequence, there are more more opportunities, like, also for men. So we we all know that, but it's implementation and practice that needs to be improved. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, having a target of hiring 50% females will not fix the problem alone. This needs to happen, you know, within a more balanced workplace culture, is my belief. So, I think the value from diversity comes from women and men bringing different and complementing things to the table. And, you know, from my experience, I often still see
4: senior leaders
3: trying to get women to behave like men thinking this would make some problems go away. So I said once in a meeting with a very senior person from management who said at an internal women's event. So I have all these men coming to my office just to chat and hang out all the time. I wish more women would do the same. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, it was said with the very best intention, but I thought, I mean, it's fair. We we can learn and should learn from each other. But that just not who a lot of us are and behave. And I think the question here is more, how can we embrace more what diversity is about and put it into practice? How can we get women to speak up and, and be heard and encourage them? And how can we remove unconscious bias? And how can we change the way women are being perceived versus men when they ask for something. So don't get me wrong. I don't have the answer to all this, but I strongly believe that those are the things that would really make a difference to every woman's career.
2: Okay. I'm glad to say that that is certainly part of the agenda on the whole notion of inclusive culture, because if we can bring it down to individual managers on the ground, frontline managers, as well as senior managers, Being able to bring in that voice and make sure that person is heard and make sure they're a part of the team and make sure that they have access to the leader in informal times that are not just done the way the men do it then I think we're going to have a better environment all the way through. Okay, Ilya, thank you very much for being on the show. So with me today is Ilya Mayores. Um, Ilya is a London-based fixed income specialist who's had a 15-year career so far in investment banking and now focusing on being a startup investor and advising startups on strategic and financial matters. I think, Ilya, we've talked about so much but if I just come back to one of my favorite quotes from you is, one, that the magic is in the, when you're outside the comfort zone. And two, regardless how much you try, politics are a part of it. You just can't completely avoid it. And there are times when you've got to speak up for yourself. That's part of the game. And I think, finally, to never stop networking, it's always a part of the process. So, Ilya, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Wanda. All right, and next week, it'll be Alan South, and we're going to talk about his experiences and his views, particularly around innovation and his time at IDEO. Join us then.
1: Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.